0: This is the Everything EV Podcast, by EV Powered. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everything EV Podcast, a weekly show that brings you the latest news, views and opinions from every corner of the EV industry. I'm your host, Charlie Atkinson, and in these episodes we'll be discussing everything to do with electric travel, so whether it be cars, bikes, boats or even planes, we'll have it covered. We'll also be speaking to people from within the industry to get their views on the EV space as well as other features such as electric car reviews, electric motorsport coverage and much, much more along the way. This podcast is available on all streaming platforms so be sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast from to receive every single episode as soon as it's released and please do go back and check out all our other episodes too. This week we're joined by Joel Teague of Codecharger. Joel is here to talk about alternative phase charging, or, in his words, the EV charging blind spot. In this episode, Joel explains how the fascination with public charging infrastructure is alienating a large proportion of the population that has yet to switch to EVs, before sharing his views on how to tackle that issue. Joel also gives us an update on the growth of CoCharger, which recently became the second biggest EV charging network in the UK. So, Joel, welcome back to the podcast. We've had you on before talking about uh, Charger and, and the growth of that, which we will come on to later. But the main reason we've got you on today is to chat about um, the article that you've written, which we published on our website yesterday, which uh, was titled The EV Charging Blind Spot. So to kick things off, if you could just give us a bit of a, an overview of the article, what the, the main message was, and, yeah, the, the story behind it.
1: Okay, that's... Uh quite a difficult thing to summarize as well. It was quite a long article in the end. Um, I think that there is a fundamental flaw in the way the industry and the world has been looking at EV charging from a domestic user point of view, at least. And that is that there's been an incorrect assumption that the people that cannot have a home charger or won't have a home charger more personally, will buy an EV and just use public charging instead. And there are two problems with that. One one is that, that that's not the Joe public that I know. The Joe public that I know is still quite change resistant and is looking for reasons not to get an EV. And they seem highly unlikely to spend more money than they probably have before on the car with a view to once a week or so going to find a public charge point, uh, hope that it's working, hope that it's available, and then sit with the car for an hour or two. It's just too big a leap. It's it's not what humans do. Once you get past early adopters, once you get into that big fat bell curve of of ordinary people, it seemed unlikely. And then looking at the data, there was a there's a brilliant report from Zapmap every year it came out. It comes out in December every year and there was a killer chart on there that just reported on what proportion of EV owners, the respondents to their survey, what percentage of those people have home charges, Mm -hmm. um, or more specifically charge at home. And for four years running, it's been give or take 1%, 84%. And In those four years, we have quintupled the number of public charge points, and they have got much more reliable, much easier to use. Everything has improved immeasurably in those four years, and yet the needle that would indicate that those people without the ability to charge at home are buying EVs hasn't moved at all. The correlation from a Stato point of view is zero, and that just confirms that abductive theory that Joe Public isn't switching it confirms it ab- uh, deductively from the data. And it, what it says is what we have done that has so far been measured hasn't worked. And that that assumption is wrong. So I started looking into this more and thinking, okay, so that's too clean a, a conclusion. If it had moved by 5%, it would be more difficult, but it's, it's not moved at all. Mm-hmm. And that's awful. That suggests that there's about 15 million motorists out there who are still going to be driving a, an eight year old petrol or diesel in 2038. We can't have that. And I've also picked up on annoyance from those people that they're fed up of being told, I'll oh, just use perfect charge points. Um, it came up, uh, Charge UK, really much needed public infrastructure uh, uh, industry group, launched on the day of uh, Fully Charged Live. And I was driving up towards Farnborough. And they covered it on Radio 5. It was a really good press release. It was a great thing. But the first caller in was a guy who just said, that means nothing to me. I live in a flat. I don't care how many public charges there are. And it just confirmed that not only are we not moving the needle, we're not listening to Joe Public, who is saying, I don't want to hear about public charge points. That's not enough. That's not good enough. I need something that gives me the benefits of home charge points. And that's what we need to recognise. And then we like crunch the numbers very crudely. I mean, it's a cigarette stuff. But oh. if say you take it at 85 and 15% to make the maths easier, that means that if about half of us are unlikely to have home charge points, and it's about that, it's about 40% haven't got driveways, and there's about another ten percent of good other reasons it's the driveway is someone else's or wrong power supply or it's a leased house or whatever it is take it 50% because frankly, my maths isn't good enough to take it any more vaguely than that. That means that this ignored, largely ignored group, that that proportion of charging, once everybody has to be an EV, if that's where we're going, it's about, it's over 40%. It's 42.5%, give or take. Let's call it 40, make it easier. And you compare that to the 15%, on public charging so that means that this problem is what is that nearly two and a half times the size of all the public charging put together it's a big big slice of the cake and we're not looking at it so that explains why we hear so much about home charging obviously home charging sorted people who can have home charges they're going to buy EVs. that's the way it's going Um, But those other people, the other half, aren't buying them, or they're five times less likely to buy them. It's not like 20%, 30%. You can't put it down to economics. You know, the people with driveways got more money, they're more likely to get an EV. That would explain a, I don't know, a 10%, 20% variance. It's a 500% variance. That's a big problem. And at the moment, that segment doesn't have a name. Nobody talks about it as part of things like you know podcasts. It doesn't come up on panels very much, or if it does, it gets dismissed as also oh, we need more public charges. And what I'm saying is, can we just before we get into the detail of solutionizing this, can we just acknowledge that it's a huge segment that is actually the problem because those are the people who are going to keep burning stuff. Let's not talk about EV drivers anymore. We're not burning anything. Talk about the guy who's still burning petrol. Worse. The person who just replaced their car with another fuel car, why? Talk about them, give them what they need, which is a dependable, affordable, and convenient way to charge an EV. We need that built into the narrative in the industry. We need it built into every website, every bit of communication that goes out to the motorist to say, we hear you, we understand what you need, and we're working on solutions, and here they all are. And just to balance it. And likewise, if you go into the industry, things like charge point providers, their models cannot have what I suspect some of them do at the moment, which is we're going to get, I don't know, N% of, of, of charging from the people who have home chargers. And we're getting 100% of the people who don't have home chargers. No, you're not, because that second one hasn't bought the car and isn't buying the car and won't buy the car. So and well, you just need to flag this up as, look, we need to review how we look at this and change how we look at discuss communicate model and implement the whole ev transition to recognize this
0: huge
1: call it 40 percent slice of the cake that is pretty much ignored or at least misunderstood at the moment
0: yeah i'll be honest it 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 completely opened my eyes as well really because i mean i'm probably guilty of this being in the job i do and we cover a lot of press releases about public charging infrastructure new charging hubs popping up here there and everywhere and so there is this obsession with public charging infrastructure, isn't there? But what, what I really liked and what I really appreciated with your article was it's all well and good there being these government targets to get X, Y and Z amount of public charges in the ground. But that isn't enough. Like you said, the, I think there was a line in there that says, can they switch? Yes. But will they if public charging isn't enough just just to make that happen? And that's one of the
1: key differentiators. We ask the wrong question. We ask can, and we need to ask will. This is about people and behavior and culture and change resistance and all those things. So yeah, I, I spoke to one fairly famous chap who was saying, oh yeah, don't worry. A vast majority of people can have home charges." And I said, it's well, an irrelevant question. Will they? Um, and it came down to, I think they were using sort of uh, buildings data and they they interpreted any any dwelling that has more than 21 square meters of tarmac adjacent to it as you can have a charger. If if that's a flower bed, can they have a charger? Yeah. Will they? Of course not. You know what if it, and what if it's rented? What if that adjacent land is over a wall and needs cables laid? What if it's going to cost five grand to put a charger? There are all these reasons. It, we've got to look at the true size of it and stop pretending it's small. There is a big caveat on the other side that I've got to mention, this is really important. And this is the problem with going just with data without applying a bit of uh, context. When I say public charging, what I'm saying is, we haven't yet seen the needle move from public charging applied as a generic term. The car buying cycle is several years long. Therefore, you can see the needle static for several years and and i would argue that there are public there are there are public charging types curbside lamp all these sorts of things which haven't been in the ground long enough in great enough numbers to see the needle move i personally think that a lot of the very specifically designed for residential use public charging solutions that we are seeing I think they've got a massive part to play and they're really important and they should be part of this movement to recognise that chunk of cake. I think they're as much part of it as community charging, mobile charging, workplace, all those other things. So that's the big caveat. When I say public charging, what I'm saying is just chucking a 22 kilowatt charger on a street corner where there's lots of flats doesn't work. That doesn't mean... Because, yeah, we've had those in tens of thousands for years. What we haven't Mm -hmm. seen is... Many streets with street lamp charges and curbside charges and pop-up charges and all these other brilliant innovations. We haven't seen them in numbers yet for long enough to then trigger people to buy EVs and start charging them to move the needle on the stats. So it's a big caveat. And what I'm saying in that article is, I think it's a word yet. We haven't seen it yet. And I do think that while this idea of, oh, just build lots of public chargers and you know, people will go up to Tesco's or people will go over to the to the service station and they'll just charge it over there. No, that's not got any evidence behind it. It's quite a lot of evidence to say it doesn't work. I do think there's a lot of logic, albeit abductive logic, sort of prediction to say that if you fill several streets full of charge points and lampposts or on the curbside, I think people will ditch their ICE vehicles for those.
0: Is that what you'd say the yeah. the solution then is obviously because, I mean, when you look at public charging infrastructure as a whole, it is an ecosystem. Like you said, you've got yeah. the, the motorway charging stations, the ultra rapid ones, but then you've also got destination yeah. charges like you mentioned outside Tesco and gyms and things like that. But yeah. we haven't seen the the development of the of of what yeah. companies like Connected Curb are, t- are trying to do. Yeah. So common. is is that what you say that the next step is in, in that solution of, of tackling this this problem?
1: Uh, no, in that no, no one thing is. I think the step is recognizing the, the the slice of cake, giving it its own name, and making sure that the motorist is aware of all those solutions. We we talk to a lot of co charging users. We talk to especially people who've registered a while back and then we see nothing happen, and then suddenly they start using it, and it's usually because the cars arrive and we very rarely get someone say oh i bought the car because of a co charger what you get is co charger was the final straw the bit of reassurance on top of all the other things and what people need to have is reassurance and confidence they need to know that there are half a dozen different ways they could run an EV and one of them is going to work so i got one guy you know he bought a granny cable he found out where the public chargers were he looked around he still didn't make the leap because oh, it's just too much hassle too much it's it's just too difficult and expensive um, and then you add on, Oh, but there's a couple of community chargers in my area, There's a couple of co-charger hosts, one, one near, I think it was this kid's school, and the other one near home. You know what? I'm going to be all right. I'm ordering a car. So I think what we, the, the point is we don't just build more streets Yes, we have to do all that. But the point is, unless Joe Public knows about it, there's no point because he's not buying the car. So let's – You know, and this is something I'm trying to pull together, put a group of companies together with various solutions in this space, and none of them is a silver bullet. Um, and between us, I think we can make the motorists aware that actually we are listening to them. We aren't just saying, oh, it's all right, just go to the service station and charge. They don't want to hear that. They're annoyed about that. They haven't bought the car, what, seven years after telling them that? And we're telling them that seven more years? No, that's not going to happen. We need to tell them, don't worry, there's these 10, 15 different ways of doing it. And then... Then we get the message across. And it will take that sort of board of solutions. But it's very hard. you know. Speaking of somebody who's a, you're running a company that has one of these solutions, it's really hard to get recognition of the importance of a solution when nobody really looks at the problem. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm saying let's get the group together and everybody out there doing these things, get in touch. A collaborative solution to say, look, here's the problem. Here's the size of it. We're listening to Joe Public and saying, we hear you, you want an EV, but you've not bought one because you need better charging options, base charging options. Here they are. And that's how we get it across. And I'm calling it the the, the three buttons project. And that's pulling this group together and making it all happen. At the moment, if you go on most websites, so if you go on a certain used car sales website that everybody we uses, one of the best actually, and you click on an ev advert at the bottom it's got two buttons how do i charge this car you've got a button for home charging you've got a button for public charging half the audience immediately closes that window and disappears because they don't care about either of those they're not applicable because unless you have got a base charging option public charging is irrelevant public charging is for when you can't use your base charging option because you're too far from home that's what it's for and that's what public charging needs to acknowledge when i say public i mean your route and destination, traditional public. Let's let's leave the curbside out. Um, What I'm saying is we need a third button. We need home charging, alternative base charging, and public charging. And that's how the public views it. That is how the motorist needs to see it. And everybody needs one of the first two buttons, and everybody always needs the last button occasionally. But what we can't keep doing is saying, everybody who hasn't got a driveway, click the second button because they're not doing it. They're just walking off and buying a petrol car. So that's what we're trying to do is get the third button in there. Let's give it a name that everybody's aware of. And behind it, there is this wonderful plethora of solutions. And we need Joe Public to know about them. And we need it on every website to recognize, here's your base charging options. If you can have a home charger, bully for you, sorted. If you can't, don't worry, here's all these other ones. And then by the way, when you're on a long journey, isn't our public infrastructure great? because it is that's how i'd like to...
0: yeah i see what you're saying yeah, is i mean man. it's as much as a perception uh, issue as much as anything i mean we've, like i said earlier we've been fascinated with the amount of public charging infrastructure and we've got to get more hubs and more charges in the ground but uh, i think a lot of people uh, what what the article said for me is it's as much a a perception and misconception issue as anything, especially when earlier this week we had the BBC Panorama show, which I'm sure you've watched, and I'm sure you've got a lot to say about. So, what? uh, yeah, I suppose my question is, what's your thoughts on the... um, The article mentions Joe Public and his attitude towards switching, and he's he's not going to switch if he can. He has to want to make the switch, and it has to make sense to him, and it has to be a viable option for him. But when there's so much misinformation around public charging and charging and, an o- and owning an electric vehicle in general. How, how do we get around that, especially when we've got BBC Panorama shows which completely misinterpret what owning an EV is like?
1: Yeah, it, it, it's an uphill battle. I think we're winning it. What well, I've enjoyed with that in the Rowan Atkinson article as well, what's been impressive, and it wouldn't have happened a year ago, is just how quickly it got shot down in flames. I mean, really torn apart. And what they do, and it's depressing when the BBC does it, you expect it from, you know, Daily Highland, that sort of thing, but is they ask the wrong question and they infer a conclusion that is actually inapplicable. So I think what was so annoying to many of us about the um, the panorama programme was that it, it took an old trope, an old approach that Jeremy Clarkson championed way back with the, the Lotus, the, the, uh, the first Tesla. Let's take something that's designed for doing this thing over here and use it for completely a different thing. Show it doesn't work. It's basically saying, forks are rubbish. Look, I'm eating soup with it and I can't work. It doesn't work. And, and it couldn't get much worse than taking, I mean, talk about the blind leading the blind first thing he says is, I've got no experience with EVs and I haven't done any preparations. Why are you doing the program, you Muppet? Why would you do this? And then I'm going to drive to, I'm going to I take a van and I'm going to drive it to all the places that nobody ever, you know, goes around at once and do a journey that most people will never do in their lives. And at no point will I actually mention what people use EVs for. At no point will I actually film somebody just waking up, going downstairs, unplugging their car, driving to work. And then a week and a half later, plugging it in again. That was what really annoyed me. That is deliberate. And I'm really, really annoyed that that people are still doing that rubbish because Joe does watch it and he believes it. And then that adds to his resistance. And it means that next thing you know, they're phoning up Radio 5 and ranting about Charge UK saying, what's it to me? it just adds it, it it gives them it feeds their confirmation bias against evs
0: yeah that was and that was my biggest problem with it really but it the it, it's such a prime time tv show so many people are going to watch that and like you said if you've got joe f public who already has in his mind that he doesn't really like evs or he doesn't really understand them and he goes why would i switch my reliable old petrol or diesel vehicle and switch mm-hmm. to an electric vehicle instead of panorama displaying a show that is objective and balanced and, and accurate which gives it it, it it had the perfect opportunity to convince people that maybe evs aren't that bad but it my, my biggest problem of with, with it sorry is that it's it's almost popular to bash EVs at yeah, the moment. It's, yeah. it's, it's like it, that's the better news story instead of saying EVs do actually re- work really well. They, yeah. they can be reliable and they're perfect for what you need them for.
1: Yeah. And, and what really annoyed me is that when it's a ragtop, you know that they've got an agenda paid for by the owners of the ragtop and they're trying to sell papers. When it's the BBC, it's already paid for. It shouldn't be about profit. I think what gave it away. Um yeah you know, I look for I'm a cynical old thing and and I do look for tells as to whether this is just a misconceived approach to a program or was it actually an agenda. He very briefly mentioned, oh, most people who go to e v s wouldn't um, said they won't go back. That stat exists there's been several studies on this. It's mm-hmm. not a hard thing to measure, and it depending on who's uh, the search and which particular stat you take it, it's it's something between 90 and 99%. They could have put a stat on it, but they said most, because that could be 50.1%. That, mm-hmm. for me, gave away that they were very carefully pushing it towards the negative. They could have put, because that's a slam dunk stat, that completely drives coaching horses through their argument that, that, that we're not ready for EVs. Because if 90% of people in an EV, say, well, I'm not going back to the other. That's, there's your answer. Um, and that gave it away from me. It wasn't just let's make it more entertaining by taking a completely daft thing and and, and making it and in, inferring that it, it gives a conclusion. This was let's avoid anything that looks too positive. I think the closest we got to any reality was an old guy in a hat saying, oh, I, live, I, I charge mine at home, it's great, end of clip but you have 55 minutes of, oh look, I'm in the Lake District. Is there a charger on that tree? No, it was really pathetic. Um, and actually what's uh, uh, slightly frustrating is the problems that he experienced with public charges were real. They're not as common as he was making out, but they were real. So it, it, again, it's just a missed opportunity. And uh, I get upset about it. You know, 100 people a day are dying from traffic fumes. Programs like that matter. Programs like that, I'm really sorry to be melodramatic about it, they kill people. They need to take responsibility for this. And if they are going to cause, I don't know, that could have caused half a million people to delay buying an a, a, a emissions-free vehicle and instead buy another one that's going to contribute to those 30,000, 40,000 deaths a year. And it really riles me that somebody in that level of responsibility who is already funded and is supposed to be politically independent Stoops to that level I it's really
0: bad. It, it does make you sort of proud of the EV industry of just how quickly they came out in defence of it and, and shot things down. Like you said with the Rowan Atkinson article as well, it, it is we are getting to a stage now where there's so much data out there to disprove all this rubbish that comes out seemingly on a weekly basis at the moment. So that's one positive side to the negative, I suppose, isn't it?
1: it it's been much better and, and there are some very very impressive people working in this space who yeah, far more intelligent, better informed than me that jump in so eloquently and rip it to shreds so brilliantly. And I I thoroughly enjoy that. Um, We are up against, you know, trillion dollar industries who are spending quite a lot of money to make sure the misinformation keeps going. I don't think it's a secret. It's not a conspiracy theory we know the organizations that produce these memes and images and, we, we know you can follow the money on any news article, and you'll soon get to somebody who has a very big vested interest in maintaining the very polluting status quo. Uh, it's pathetic, but it, it still happens. Um, I think their, their grasp on the narrative is slipping quite rapidly now, thanks to the efforts of all these people putting in quick and accurate rebuttals.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, just, we, we've covered the the article and, and the sort of main message of it, but what would you like to see come as, as a result of this article? We've obviously want to get the word out there and get people talking, but what's the sort of long-term objective of getting people talking about, about this issue?
1: I think it's about recognising and sizing and naming and communicating that there is that problem and that there are solutions to it. So there's Two things are gonna happen now. One is I'm gonna start working with various people to pull together a group of everybody who's trying to solve it. And that includes your, your, your lamp post charge, your curbside chargers, mobile charge points, uh, charging hubs is what we haven't mentioned, neighborhood charging hubs, all these things. Anybody trying to solve this problem with absolutely no judgment as to whether we think they're effective or not, I don't care. Um, we get them together. And we form a group and we start saying between us how we're going to address it. In parallel with that um, PR and also insights, I'm really hoping that there's a couple of organizations out there, three or four actually, who could really help in how do we measure this? Which metrics are we looking at? And how do we track the efficacy of what we're doing? So that when we start to work on this, we can see we're making a difference. How do we tell that more people who can't have own charges are buying EVs and what caused do? And I, I think we can get all of that in place. There's some brilliant insights teams out there. I mentioned the ZapMap one um, uh, in the article, but there are others, Autotrader are amazing at it. There's people like the Donor Analytics and Build Dynamics and all these other companies. Let's get together, work out what matters, what trends we expect to see, and then let's work out how to get recognition of the importance of these solutions and get visibility of them to the motorists
0: yeah absolutely yeah. now just um just a quick update on cocharger i, I noticed I, I saw on twitter that you were shouting about the fact that cocharger has become the second biggest charging network in the uk so things are obviously going quite quite nice for you guys so uh yeah just just give us a bit of an update of the how things have been going uh since we last spoke to you which i think was uh, just just over just over a year i think
1: yeah it did i must admit it was quite embarrassing i I hadn't noticed. I knew we'd been close to second for a while. It's a bit, I, I should say, by the way, this is a bit unfair. We use it as a yardstick. It's not a comparison. We're not saying we're better than all but one public charge network. What we're saying is just to compare numbers, you know, we're up on, what, like, 4,700 hosts now, which is bigger than all, but I think it's ubitricity Those the name. They are ubiquitous. Um, but we're closing. We'll get there as well. But that's not, we don't compete against them. It's just our yardstick. And we've got, I think, over 15,000 uh, registered uh, users now. Um, and the use is, is is starting to change. And it's really interesting to see that I think, last time I ran the numbers, of the people who have run a co-charger session this year, 94% have run more than one. The retention is great. And what we're seeing is not only are people buying cars that would otherwise have been fuel cars, and our EVs, with a view to yes, and I can run it because of co-charger. We're seeing that the the number of overnight sessions is increasing. People are using it in the way that we'd hoped, which is look, this is home charging, just not with my home charger, and that's the exciting. Bit and we're seeing that come in. The other big development is, uh, and this is a bit of a call actually. Uh, we're working with Uber, because we've realised, you know, there, there are Uber drivers having to it's a, a big dent in their their the work-life balance if you're having to finish work at, late at night and then sit with a car for two hours and you know, we're enabling them to just go home go to bed like everybody else i don't want a tired uber driver thank you so working with the taxi industry uber included but also fleets um we're now calling out to anybody who is electrifying their return their, their return to home fleet usually last mile small van anything that fit in the driveway over 70% of professional drivers in that, at that bracket don't have or can't have a home charge point. We're saying, find us half a dozen of your drivers who are currently dependent on public charge points that we can then hook up with a host and we'll run a pilot for you and show you that actually those guys, you can treat them as if they've got home charges. You're no longer going to be paying those people during working hours to sit at the public charger every day. So it's got a big thing going with fleet. It worked beautifully. The result of all the the pilots we've done so far is incredibly positive. So that's a big thing for us. And that's big for us because we're all about um, environment. Last mile delivery is a huge contributor to those awful air quality stats that we're seeing. If we can help those companies to replace more of their diesel vehicles with electric vehicles sooner by enabling them to charge while the driver is off duty at home, then that that's a huge win for us. So that's what we're looking for. You send us the postcodes of your drivers, we set them up with host. It's a beautiful thing.
0: That's all for this episode. Many thanks for listening. And if you liked it, then please do check out all our other episodes and be sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast from to make sure you get every single episode as soon as it's released. For daily news coverage, features and much more, you can also head over to evpowered.co.uk. Thanks once again for listening and we'll see you on the very next episode of the Everything EV Podcast.